Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all this morning. As we begin our service together, uh, if you're able and willing, please stand as we sing our first song. <clears throat> We praise Thee, O God, for the Son of Thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Hallelujah, Amen. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Revive us again. We praise Thee, God, for thy spirit of light, who has shown us our Savior and scattered our night. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. All glory and praise to the Lamb that was slain, who has borne all our sins and has cleansed every stain. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. All glory and praise to the God of all grace, who has bought us and sought us and cleansed us. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Amen. You can be seated. I have a quick special, uh, two quick special announcements before uh, Sean welcomes us and has the official announcements. One is that every January we have a corporate meeting that the state mandates. Uh, we have to have a quorum present for that meeting and we're postponing it. It'll, we'll have it later in the spring once we can have more people at that meeting. So people have asked and that's where we are with the corporate meeting. We won't be having that until uh, later in the spring. The second one's real important though. Uh, we're blessed to be able to have an online worship and also to have the building open and have us here like we are this morning. Uh, for that to keep happening though, we really do need to follow the guidelines from the state. And if we're going to keep meeting like this, we really have to have and we ask you please comply with this. Everyone, unless you're making an announcement like this or when you're taking communion, while you're in the building, keep the mask on. That's just absolutely essential. We won't be able to 
come together like this. The second thing that we really need to do is when service is over, unless you absolutely have to move out the back, please wait, give people six feet in front of you, and then come out the front doors. It's a little farther to walk, but it's really important for us to follow these guidelines, or like I said, we may not be able to uh, keep meeting like we are. And if you have any major concerns or questions about that, come and ask me or Greg or Jim or one of the elders uh, or Chris. Uh, but I'm really uh, letting us all know that we need to, uh, unless you're taking communion or unless you're speaking up here away from everybody, uh, please keep your masks on while in the building. Once you're outside, too, keep six feet apart. Or if you can't be six feet apart, keep your mask on. So thank you for being here, and thanks everybody who has complied so well. Uh, and we just need to uh, keep reminding ourselves that those are the, what we need to do. So with that, I'm going to let Sean give us some more announcements. I do get to say good morning and greetings to those who are here this morning and also to those that are online. Uh, it's great to be together in those uh, ways. I want to begin with prayer. Let's pray. Father, we come together this morning as followers of Jesus. We're thankful that uh, we're able to worship you, that we're able to come into your presence. Father, that uh, barrier that has um, kept us away from you, uh, our sin, we're thankful that it has been dealt with, that we're able to be ushered into your presence, that we can freely worship you, knowing that our hearts are made clean by the blood of Jesus. And as we take communion this morning and as we gather together, uh, these are all just um, reminders, Father, of what you've done for us and uh, give us uh, incentive in many ways to why we come and pray and why we come and worship. It's because of what you've done for us. And so you may, be, may you be honored as we've gathered together this morning. It's Christ we pray. Amen. You know, I want to say Happy New Year. And, I, you know, I can say that. Um, but isn't it wonderful that in saying um, Happy New Year, we don't have to wait for a new year to have newness every morning. Uh, we don't have to wait for that uh, Day of Atonement as the Jews had to wait on an annual basis to feel like they can have that sense of newness. Because of what Christ has done, we're able to come into God's presence and know that we can be made clean and, and that we have that newness. We don't have to wait for a new year to have that newness. So we're able to celebrate this morning that newness that the Lord has given us. And the writer of Lamentations uh, reminds us of that in Lamentations chapter 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Don't have to hope in New Year's resolutions or whatever else that can bring that newness. We have that in the Lord. And I hope that you're reminded of that this morning as we've gathered together. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Yeah. 
Thank you, Sean, for that reminder. I am thankful for the sense of newness that does come with this time of year and uh, just being able to share that with you all. One thing that Chris challenged us to do, in case you uh, haven't seen the emails or announcements, is to be thinking about how we're in the Word this year. And I'm doing something that I've never done before. I'm three days in, and so far I've been able to do all three days, and that is to do the 90-day Bible reading through the Bible uh, program. And that's been very uh, enlightening so far, because normally, you know, the first five books of the Bible are quite long, and so you get stuck in Leviticus or Deuteronomy, but I found you're actually reading such large portions that you see scripture in new ways, and it, it does kind of help you get through genealogies and things like that. Um, and so I would really encourage us all, as we're thinking about that newness, to also be thinking about um, finding ways that we can engage with the word this year. Let's continue in our singing together. <clears throat> Who has held the oceans in his hands? Who has numbered every grain of sand? Kings and nations tremble at his voice. All creation rises to rejoice. Who has given counsel to the Lord? Who can question any of his word? Who can teach the one who knows all things? Who can fathom all his wondrous deeds? Behold our God, seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. Who has felt the nails upon his hand, bearing all the guilt of sinful man? God eternal, humble to the grave. Jesus, Savior, risen now to reign. Behold our God, seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our King. Nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. You will reign forever. You will reign forever. You will reign forever. You throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our 
nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. Behold our God, seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. Amen. Over all the earth you reign on high, every mountain stream, every sunset sky. But my one request, Lord, my only aim, is that you reign in me again. Lord, reign in me, reign in your power over all my dreams in my darkest hour. You are the Lord of all I am. So won't you reign in me again over every thought, over every word. May my life reflect the beauty of my Lord, cause you mean more to me than any earthly thing. So won't you reign in me again, Lord reign in me, reign in your power over all my dreams in my darkest hour. You are the Lord of all I am. So won't you reign in me again, Lord reign in me, reign in your power over all my dreams in my darkest hour. You are the Lord of all I am. So won't you reign in me again, you are the Lord of all I am. So won't you reign in me again. Amen. Morning, church. Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. So for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must be a recent con he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace into the snare of the devil. Good morning. Thank you very much, Matthew, for reading that for us this morning and kind of setting the stage for what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we are continuing a series that we've been doing on uh, the 
elders. Uh, this is our second week of doing this series. Um, last week we talked a little bit about the image of shepherd as we see in scripture and what it means for someone to be a shepherd, uh, how Moses as uh, a leader that God brought into the church or into uh, Israel rather um, had applied some of the shepherding skills that he'd learned in literally leading sheep, uh, the discernment that he needed to practice, the thoughtfulness that he required in order to be an effective leader. Um, and then we talked a little bit about how uh, David, also a shepherd, is called into leadership. And uh, for most of his time as the king of Israel, he leads the people well. But when he forgets what it means to be a shepherd, that's when we see his greatest stumbling as a leader. Um, this week, I want to go a little bit more uh, specific into the qualities that an elder might possess. And so we're going to take a look uh, at the New Testament passages that deal with elderships. Uh, if you remember, last week we started with a verse from 1 Peter chapter 5 that said, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears... You will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So Peter talks about this role of the elder and what it is that they're expected to do within the church to provide guidance but not to be domineering, for them to be individuals who provide oversight, who set an example, who maybe help to set the course of where a particular congregation is going to go. And they do it in the manner that the chief shepherd, who is Jesus, would do it. Um, they follow in his footsteps. And that was the, the point that I wanted us to take away from last week specifically. This week, I want to look at two passages that Paul writes to us. Uh, the first one of these comes in 1 Timothy. Uh, it's chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. And I just, I want to read through this this morning because I think that there's a lot to be said uh, for what it is that Paul tells us about elders and his expectation for them. Um, on my screen here, part of the verse is cut off, so I'm flipping to that in my, my Bible here, uh, my digital Bible. This saying is trustworthy. This is what Matthew read to us. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. I want to start with that thought right there. I think that that's the first thing that we should focus on. If anyone aspires to be an elder, to be an overseer, that's a, a noble pursuit. That means that whatever else we might read about an elder, the qualities that they are supposed to possess, maybe we should all consider pursuing these particular qualities. And I want us to think about that as we're reading through what it is that Paul says uh, are characteristics or marks of a good elder, someone who should be shepherding the church of God, God's church, God's people. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, 
Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. As Matthew read to us this morning, these are, these are the qualities that Paul suggests to Timothy are qualities an elder should possess. These are things that you can look at a guy and say, I, I think these, these are true of him. That's, that's the kind of man that fits this, this mold. He, he falls within this description pretty well. But Paul doesn't talk about elders just one time. In fact, if you uh, have your Bibles, you can turn to Titus, and we're going to take a look at what, uh, what Paul says um, of Titus, or, or of elders here. I've got a... My eyes are not so great this morning. Titus 1, verse 5 through 9. Uh, we're going to take a look there as well. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, so there's a kind of repetition, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So this is, uh, this is two lists that Paul provides us. And there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of similar wording that he chooses to use, but they're not identical lists. If you were to hold them up to one another and compare them word for word, uh, Paul chooses in Titus to use slightly different language. If, if you remember in 1 Timothy, he talks about uh, how he manages his household well so that his children are submissive to him. Here, he talks about you know, uh, that, that his children should be believers. Um, you know, these are two kind of different statements about the children of an elder. But if you look at the overarching premise here, and, and I think that you know, that's probably Paul's uh, desire for us, is to look at a broader picture and not individual items, although the individual items are important. We'll concede that for just a moment. There are kind of three areas that Paul covers, and these are my own categories. I want to be clear, Paul doesn't like categorize these items, and they're uh, easily shifted categories, but I want to put up three categories here that I think maybe we can understand these qualifications in. There's the internal qualities, the, uh, the ways in which a person controls who they are as an individual. Uh, maybe they're in control of their appetites. You know, Paul talks about drunkenness and, and you know, they are not given to much drink or they are not given to drunkenness. Um, there are these uh, uh, home qualities. What is his home life like? How does he behave with his children, with his spouse? Is he the sort of person that is hospitable, that has people welcome in his home? Does he use his home as a light for the ministry of Christ? And then the final one here, perception of others or perception by others. How do those within the church view him? How do those outside of the church view him? 
what, what kind of reputation does this individual have? And so, as I said, these are, these are three categories I made up to kind of explain the overarching ideas here, but these are not wildly difficult categories for us to understand and process. In fact, in Roman times, these were the three spheres that were often talked about in an individual's life. There was the public life, the perception of others. There was the home life, the family issues. Uh, and then there was a man's internal world, who they were on the inside, who they were towards their family, and who they were towards the public. And all three of those, Paul is telling us, kind of need to fall in line with one another, that this, this individual who is aspiring to be an elder, who maybe the church is calling on to be an elder, who God is calling on to be an elder, should kind of have these things in order, that they should reflect particular qualities, that they should have their, their own life ordered in such a way. And so I want to kind of highlight these passages with these ideas here. If you think about being above reproach, this is definitely an outside perception. It might say that maybe it has to do with who he is internally, but it's about how others might perceive this individual. A husband of one wife, this is sort of a home life issue. Um, you, might, you might say, again, that this is also about who he is on the inside. You know, is he in control of his passions, of, of uh, his appetites? That might be the case here, but it's definitely about his home life. Is he ordered there? Is he a man of fidelity, faithfulness to his spouse? Sober-minded self-controlled. These are qualities that are about a person's individual life that do end up pouring out into the other areas of their life as well. Is he respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money? You know, those ones in the green there, they have a lot to do with how an individual does control their self. And they might be qualities that are perceived on the outside, but they begin on the inside. There are things that happen because a man makes a choice about the way in which he's going to live. There's some intentionality there. I am going to be in control of myself. I may feel the de desire to argue, but I'm not going to be quarrelsome. He must manage his own household well, keeping children submissive. These are kind of two things that are linked together here. Uh, Paul, on the one hand, says he must manage his household well, and then he gives kind of a specific of what that might look like. His children are submissive. If you go and you look at the, uh, the description for what it means for them to be submissive, it's that they are, uh, they are willing to follow him, that they, they trust his guidance, uh, that perhaps you know, he, he exercises some amount of authority with them, but really, and we've talked about this as we were looking at Romans a couple of weeks ago, this idea of submission and the uh, description that Paul is using here, this managing his household well, it's not ruling his household. It's being a steward of what God has given to him in the family that he possesses. Is this father, this man, a steward of the gifts that God has given to him? must not be a recent convert. That's one of those things that we can kind of make a lot of sense of. I think it has a lot to do with both the perception of others outside of him. You know, has this man been a Christian long enough for him to really be the sort of person who is leading others in Christ? But we could also say that this has a lot to do with the internal self. Someone who's only recently come to Christ may really struggle 
with authority being given to them, with the leadership of other people, and that becoming something that puffs them up, as Paul would say, that leads to an internal sense of self that's maybe too grand, too big, too uh, overreaching. And he says, must be well thought of by outsiders. And when Paul uses the term outsiders, that is a very clear delineation from the family language that he uses to describe the church often. There are brothers and sisters. There are the church family, the family of Christ, the body of believers. And then there are outsiders. And Paul uses that very clearly to say, even within, if, if a man is well regarded within the church, but outsiders view him unfavorably, the people who aren't a part of God's body, that's probably not the right person to have guiding the congregation. Because our reputation with the community does matter. It's very difficult to make converts if people look at the person that is uh, in a position of authority within the congregation and they say, that guy is a jerk. It becomes really difficult if, as a, a member of the body of Christ, you're talking to your friend about Jesus and you're trying to help them understand how Jesus changes who you are on the inside. J Jesus changes the way in which you approach life. He, he sets you on a path that provides you with the opportunity to be compassionate, kind, caring, to, to love people well, to love people better than you did before. And then you introduce them to your elder and they're like, man, I had an interaction with that guy five years ago and he was just a jerk. You're telling me that Jesus has changed him? An elder, a leader within the church, a shepherd of God's people needs to be the sort of person that's not just regarded well within the church body, but regarded well outside of the church. These things matter to Paul. They matter to God, and they should matter to us. So as we consider who it is that we would want, have, want to have be an elder within the church, these are three spheres that we should probably be thinking about. And if we were to look at the, the Titus passage, a lot of these things fall into those three spheres as well. His home life, his internal character, and his reputation among the church and the community that we're a part of. And we have to ask ourselves as we think about our, our existing elders, I think our existing elders, if we were to hold them up against the standard, they fall into these categories quite well. People regard them well, both within the congregation and outside of the congregation. They're men that are in control of their appetites. They are men that are internally uh, consistent with what it is that they teach on the outside, that you can look at their lives and say they live by a belief in Christ. They are guided in their footsteps on the path that God has set them on. And in their home lives, they have a good relationship with their spouse. Their children love and respect them. It may not be that all of their children remain faithful believers beyond the time that they stay within the, the, the family uh, sphere. You know, this is one of those things that it, it becomes difficult. We start looking at these individual pieces, and what we find is that it can be hard sometimes to find a person who fits every single one of these qualities. 
there are men in our congregation that definitely fit all of these qualities. And, and the question becomes, we start talking about what does it mean to be the husband of one wife? What does it mean for his children to be believers or to be submissive to him? And if Paul wrote to one church that they just need to be submissive, but he writes to the other church that they need to be believers, which one of these lists holds more weight? Is it the one that was written first or the one that was written second or the one that we default to most often? And sometimes we become really nitpicky and piddly about some of these things, and I think that there's a good reason for that. We want to make sure that as we pick leaders for the congregation, as we, pick is the wrong word, recognize leaders from within the body, we want to use some discernment on these passages. What does Paul mean by the husband of one wife? What does Paul mean by his children being submissive or his children being believers? Is he talking about you know, a, a man who has a 40-year-old son who has left the church recently, is that a mark of him not having his home life together? Or is that a, a mark of an adult making their own decision apart from their parents? These are questions we should ask, but these are definitely not questions that should be, in our minds, the most important and deciding factors. I think that what Paul is doing here is he's creating a broad image of what an elder looks like. Can we affirm that this is a man who is self-controlled? A man who has internal consistency with his external teachings? Is this a man whose home is a home in which God is glorified? Is this a man who on the outside of the church people respect and admire, that say, you know, there is a quality to his life that I wish I possessed? And I want us to really be careful as we approach this, this season in which we are looking within the body for those who will shepherd and guide us to be thoughtful certainly about the individual lists and the items that are listed there, but more importantly on the broad picture that Paul creates for us of a man who meets this. You know, there's, there's that saying, I may, know, may not know what it is, but I know it when I see it. I may not be able to describe to you what a thing is, but I know it when I see it. I think it was, uh, was it Clarence Thomas who said that about pornography, I think. Uh, one, of, one of the Supreme Court justices said this about pornography. Well, I may not be able to tell you what it is, but I know it when I see it. Thinking to the other end of the spectrum here, towards something good, sometimes we may not have the exact perfect description for what a person looks like if they're an elder, but we know it when we see it. And Paul gives us a list, I think, mostly to tell us and start us off in the right direction. What's some general principles that will define an elder for us? How do we, how do we know what areas to look in? What are the most important aspects of a person's life for us to whittle down to be able to say, this is an elder. How will I know him? when I see him. I think these spheres of life are pretty good indicators. And I think if most of us focused our lives on living these three spheres in a particular image, we wouldn't quibble so much about who is an elder in the church, but we would have to say, well, you know, we have so many people that fit this role, so many people that could fill this role so easily. Uh, how do we decide between these really great candidates that we have? And I believe in many ways our congregation is blessed with an abundance of individuals that we could easily say that when we look at them, we see these qualities in them. 
we see these spheres of their life are together. And then we get to be a little nitpicky. Okay, well, you know, we have to ask him some questions about this over here. We have to ask some questions over here. We want to make sure that he's prepared. We want to make sure that God is calling him to this particular role, that there's not something that's, you know, hiding in the background that he's, he's not told us before. We should be blessed with an abundance of people that we have to practice a great amount of discernment with if we're all aspiring to living out Christ in these areas of our life. Because remember, Paul at the very beginning says, if anyone aspires to this position, they desire a good thing. Are we all aspiring to the good thing? Are we all aspiring to live out Christ internally? To live out Christ in our homes? To live out Christ in our public perception? Both within the congregation, yes, it's great if our brothers and sisters in Christ think that we're good, upright, holy people. But it's even better if as Christians, when we walk out the door, our neighbors, our co-workers, the people that meet us at the gas station, the people that meet us in the checkout line at the grocery store, although make sure you're six feet apart, so you know, you don't... Anyway, uh, these people should be able to look at you and say, this person has a quality that I wish I had to my own life. And this really gets back to an idea that Jesus introduces to us early on in his ministry. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, he tells us that we are to be a light to the world, a city on a hill that is not hidden, a beacon to people. And I think as Christians, we should aspire to be that light to the world. We should be a lamp placed on a lampstand. We should be a city that, that sits up on the hill so that people see us and are drawn to Christ as a result. And within the church, when we were talking about the, that next next vision, someone within the church that we all look to and we say, they are a light to me. They are drawing me towards the image of Christ. And so it's kind of this tiered idea here. I don't want to say it's like a pyramid scheme or something, but you know, you have, you have a lot of people down here who are trying to work the image of Christ into these areas of their life trying to allow the Holy Spirit to guide them and mold them and shape them in ways that they become more and more like Jesus on a continual and regular basis. And they do that by looking to the person who's just above them. You know, they're a little more like Jesus than I am. It's what Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Yeah, there are ways in which I'm not very much like Jesus, but I hope to be someday. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's what we should be looking for in our elders. Are they imitating Christ in these areas of their life so that then we can imitate them and become more like Christ in our imitation of their imitation of Christ? And as we progress in our growth into these, this image in these areas of our life, other people around us say, I want to be more like them because they are more like Jesus. An elder is not at the top of the church because they're someone who is going to dictate how things are going to be. They are someone who sits in front of the church as, as a beacon, a light to the faithful to draw them closer to Jesus. 
so that their light might shine greater. This is the, the language that Peter uses to describe an elder, that they are the kind of person that the young ones will submit to. And the young ones will then submit to them. That's the order that Peter puts it in. Tells the elders how they should behave so that then he can tell the younger ones and as they do so, follow them. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to be a church that is guided by good shepherds. We want to be a church that can look at the, the men that we call elders and say they are more like Christ than we are. And we want to be more like them for that. God, we are praying now and continually that we will find men within our body who are not just uh, kind of maybe shoehorned on some technicalities into these positions because they meet a list of qualifications, but because when we look at these men, we can say affirmatively, I know it because I see it. Father, help us to have your eyes. Help us to see uh, the, the men within our congregation that are being considered for eldership through your eyes and be able to say affirmatively that they are more like Christ today than they were when they came to him, that they continue to grow into the image of Christ in their home, in their personal life, in their reputation among us and the community. God, help us to, help us to observe, help us to learn, help us to be your people, led by your people. And at the front of all of us, the one that we aspire to be most like, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Help us all to aspire to be like him. Because that's not just a good thing, that is the best thing. God, we pray, we pray that you help us to, to find these men. We pray that within our congregation you are raising up elders, that you are shaping us and forming each of us so that we might be a shepherd and a guide to those that are already in our lives, in our homes, in our public life. Help us to be individuals who are committed to growing into your image internally. It's all this that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to challenge us. Uh, Kyle already did uh, this morning, but I want to challenge us all to commit not just to reading the Bible, uh, reading the Bible is a good thing. It is something that helps us to grow in our faith and our knowledge, our understanding of who we are in relation to God. But more importantly, I want us to commit, I want us to commit to growing in our depth of relationship with God. See, sometimes we become very task-oriented. Uh, I'm going to do this thing so that I have already done this thing, and not necessarily goal-oriented. Uh, it's great if there's something that you want to accomplish on a daily basis, but if there's no goal in that thing, what's the point in doing it? And so one of the reasons I chose to do this 90-day this Bible challenge is that uh, it's really easy for me to say I'm going to read the Bible every day. I already do that. Uh, it's, you know, sometimes I, I could very easily just read the Bible for work, for planning a class or a sermon, um, and find that I do grow through that. There's a lot of good and value in that. But sometimes we need to take on a bigger, more holistic approach to why we're doing something. And so I committed to doing this 90-day Bible challenge primarily because 
I, I want to see Scripture in a more cohesive way. Uh, breaking it up into little bitty pieces is, is all well and good. There's a lot to be said for focusing on a small handful of Scriptures and really weighing them out and asking God to guide us in those. There's also something to be said for viewing Scripture in its entirety, for digesting big chunks and being able to see the way in which God weaves a story through the history of humanity. Uh, I've done this twice now, and it's been a tremendous blessing to me in my personal spiritual growth. You know, there, uh, there are a lot of stories in Scripture that we tend to gloss over. Uh, we read through them quickly, and then we forget about them, or we never read them at all because they just don't happen to come up in our particular reading or our class periods or whatever it may be. But I find that God shapes us through his word. He challenges us to see ourselves and see the story that he is playing out in our own lives. We are individually Israel. We have wandered in the wilderness. We have been enslaved to our own sin, and we are in desperate need of salvation and exodus through the waters. We are the disciples who maybe felt like we were awkward, out-of-place loners that were called into a collective body of believers and then equipped for good works by our shepherd. We are the church that often struggles and, and wrestles with what it means to be the church in the communities in which we find ourselves. And these are narrative threads that are weaved through Scripture that sometimes we miss because we get caught up on individual verses. And so I've, I've committed to reading the Bible over the next, uh, what is it, 88 days now, uh, including today. I'm one day behind Kyle because I haven't done today's reading yet. Um, and so I want to invite you, commit to growth in Christ. And that may look like reading the Bible over the next 88 days. There are two grace days, by the way, in the reading plan that we have, so today's the third. You could start today and still finish when Kyle and I do. Um, on the other hand, there is also a 365-day reading plan that is available that we've uh, put on the church website, is available in the foyer in the back, and I believe Norma sent out in an email this week. If you're going to commit to reading the Bible every day, don't just do it to make it a task item, a check mark on your, your list, do it so that you will grow, so that you might end up reflecting Christ more in your day-to-day -day life. So that's a little spiel for our, our reading plans uh, here at the end of the sermon. Last thought before I close us out uh, and we continue in our worship this morning. We all have a sphere of influence that God has gifted us with. We all have a group of people that God has blessed us to be in relationship with. Co-workers, family members, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, you know, people that we interact with on a daily basis or a weekly basis or a monthly basis. And every one of us is called to be a minister to those people that are within our sphere of influence. And over the next several weeks, Kyle and I are going to be preaching on this idea that every one of us has a role within the church, a place that we belong, a ministry that we are called to, a work that God expects of us, a stewardship that we've been given. And we're closing out this series on elders, and our elders have been given a sphere of influence within the church, but they're not the only ones that have that sphere of influence. They're not the only ones who are called to do the work. Kyle and I have been given a sphere of influence as ministers within the church, but we're not the only ones that have that ministry, not the only ones that have a calling to be 
ministers for Christ. And so over the next few weeks, I really want us to commit to praying, first of all, for the elders that we are searching for, but also that each one of us considers carefully what our sphere of influence is and the way in which God is calling us to be ministers in that sphere. I've said the word sphere so many times this morning, it means absolutely nothing to me at this point. But that's what I want us to be praying about. If, if there's any resolution you're going to make, make it to grow in the image of Christ. If there's a second resolution you're going to make, make it to be that you will discover your sphere of influence and the ministry that God is calling you to as an individual. And as we do that, as individuals, we evaluate what God is calling us to. Our congregation will grow for it. We will become a richer, more powerful, uh, spiritually congregation. Richer, not financially, but richer in the depth and breadth of our ministries. Uh, so that's, that's my encouragement to you this morning. If you're going to make any resolution because it's a new year, resolve to grow in the image of Christ and resolve to identify what ministry God has given to you. That's my whole sermon this morning. I gave you three sermons. So uh, thank you for your attention and uh, let's continue in our worship today. The next two songs will prepare our hearts and minds for communion. Everyone needs compassion, love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the hope of nations. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. So take me as you find me, all my fears and failures, fill my life again. I give my life to follow everything I believe in, now I surrender, Savior. He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. So shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. 
He is mighty to save forever, the author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the had no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. 
you have broken every chain there's salvation in your name jesus christ my living hope hallelujah praise the one who set me free hallelujah death has lost its grip on me you have broken every chain there's salvation in your name jesus christ my living hope jesus christ my living hope amen this morning i'd like you to think about when you first became a Christian, how you entered into a covenant with God, you promised you would honor him by living a life as a Christian should. He agreed to be your God, and you agreed to be his child. This is a great time to examine your life. Are you keeping your end of the agreement? If you would take the bread out, it's comforting to know that all across the world today that Christians are, we're all doing this together. And even though we're in different time zones and we're in different bodies, that we're all partaking of the Lord's body this morning. Think about the body of the Lord. No one impacted the world more than Jesus. All that he did while he was here on earth, he did with his body. And now how does he imp impact the world today? with his body, the church. We are his hands, his feet, his eyes, his ears, and his mouths. As you partake of this bread this morning, his body, you might think about your role in his body. God has given us abilities he wants us to use for the body. First Peter 4.10 reads, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Are you doing your part in the body of Christ? Are you helping Christ impact the world today? Think about these things now as we examine ourselves and pray for the bread. Our Father in heaven, God, it's so good to be here this morning. Or rather, we're in this building or we're online. Father, we know that we're all in the same spirit with you today. We're so thankful for your son, Father, and the sacrifice that you gave with his life, a perfect and willing sacrifice, so that we might someday uh, be able to be with you in heaven. Please bless this bread and help us to take it in a worthy manner. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Please now think about the blood of the Lord as we drink this cup this morning. Think about the cup that he had to drink. It was a dreadful cup, and he knew it. It contained mocking, scourging, spitting, nails, and I think most importantly, abandonment. And I believe that's one of the main reasons that he did not want the cup to pass before him. He wanted a different way. But he knew all that it entailed, and he still chose to die for us. He drank it to its bitter end. The cup that we drink this morning spares us from all the things that he had to go through, which we deserve. Jesus' sacrifice is something beyond our comprehension, but he did it for us. Let's pray as we think about the blood. Father, thank you so much for allowing Jesus to go on the cross, to die for our sins, and to raise again three days later. Father, it's because of him uh, that we have the opportunity to partake this morning. Help us to also do this in a worthy manner. Help us to examine ourselves and to put everything else aside and to just focus solely on him and that sacrifice right now. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I just want to mention as well that there are ways to give. You can mail or drop off your check, set it up through bill pay, or I believe drop it off in Chris's office, or give online at the link on our website. Something I've been thinking about these last two sermons is that while we've been talking about the role of elders, this really has a lot to say about who we all are. I think Chris was right in saying that we should all aspire to grow into the image of Christ, and that's what Paul is describing, people of character who reflect the image of Christ. And how can we, how can I grow into that as well? And so as we are sent out this morning into our world and our communities, let's, let's think about that, how we can bear the image of Christ. If you're able, please stand as we sing our last song this morning. <clears throat> Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul, I'll worship your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, 
Let me be singing when the evening comes. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul. I'll worship your holy name. And on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending. Ten thousand years and then forevermore. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O oh my soul. I'll worship your holy name. I'll worship your holy name. I'll worship your holy name. Amen. You can be seated. In reality, we're all shepherds, aren't we? Each one of us shepherds someone else. And we've been challenged this morning and reminded this morning that for us to be able to really do that, it's got to be God working through us. I want to pray to that end at this time, and then Don has an announcement afterwards. Let's pray. Father, uh, please do a great work in us to bring glory and honor to you. You've called us to be light so that others would see you. And we know, Father, that we really can't do that on our own. Humanly, it's just not possible. It's your Holy Spirit doing a work within us. And so we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us in great ways, that we'd be uh, open to your Spirit working in us, and that we would get out of your way so that others would see Jesus and bring glory and honor to you. Father, find um, a good work in us. Help us to understand the lives we shepherd and uh, help us to be uh, seeking ways uh, to be Jesus in this world. I pray to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, just real quickly, I have one uh, prayer request. Uh, my dad, I just got a call, uh, who's in Florida, who's 89, a lot of you know him. Uh, he's in the ICU now with a real bad pneumonia. So I pray that you'll, he's a believer, death has no hold on him. But I pray that God's will be done and that uh, he won't suffer if he does pass. Uh, and I hope it gets better. But if you could all be praying for that for me. I just got the call after I made that announcement. Uh, and I did want to remind you too, I was asked to remind you again, that uh, when we're dismissed, we're not going to have ushers ushering you out. But if you could just stand up and let the row in front of you leave and then walk out the uh, front doors. Uh, we're told that really makes a difference. And I don't want 
Gillespie or Doris or Sean or anyone else uh, to be in the situation my dad's in right now. Because um, uh, if we can avoid that, that's what Jesus would do. So uh, with that, let me say a real quick prayer. Dear God, thank you for the good people that are here. Uh, these are your people. Uh, we're trying to be your people. And uh, help us do the right things. Uh, sometimes that's pretty hard to know. Uh, and I do want to pray right now uh, for my dad and uh, my brothers and sisters and the whole family and the whole church family back there in Florida. And um, help your will to be done. And uh, Jesus was about trying to help in suffering on this earth. And uh, he was about blessing people. And I pray that we'll go out today and that we'll do whatever we can to do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you're dismissed.